Phil Donoghue is a well-known television show talk host who often gives clergy a hard time. He doesn't have any respect for ministers and their kind. However, in his autobiography, he tells of one pastor who was different. It happened while Donoghue was just starting out in TV. The young reporter was sent to cover a coal mine disaster. He drove for hours just himself in his old battered car. He didn't even have a crew. He just had a mini cam and himself and was expected to file a report for the evening news. Now it was so cold that when he got here the camera wouldn't work. So he stuffed it inside his coat to warm it up. Meanwhile, the families and friends of those who were trapped under the ground had gathered. And then the local pastor arrived. He was rough-hewn and rough in speech. And he gathered the families in a circle. And as they held one another, the pastor prayed. And he prayed for the rescuers. He prayed for the families. And most of all, he prayed for those men trapped underground. Imagine the frustration of this young reporter who had a camera that wouldn't work. He was dying to film this just this poignant, this beautiful prayer. He knew it would be powerful and make an impact on the evening news. And the praying was finished. And he finally got his camera to work. So he, he went up to the pastor and explained what had happened and asked the pastor if he would gather the families and pray again so that he could get their story on the evening news. Now, as an aside, Donahue writes how he's worked with some of the world's most famous people, and all of them are willing to redo a scene to make the evening news. But not this day. The simple country preacher replied, Young man, we don't pray for the news. I'm sorry, we're finished, and I will not pose. You know, to this day, Donahue remembers that pastor's character with respect. And today, we're going to see how this encounter reflects Christ's attitude to prayer. For when Jesus was going about his father's business, he did so out of compassion and would not pose for any man, whether it was in public or private. And so this morning we'll move through the first healing recorded in Mark and then on to Jesus' regular practice of prayer, a practice that we too have much to learn. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we open your word, we pray that you will open our hearts and our minds to what, we have to, what you would have us here this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's dive into today's text. Uh, Mark chapter 1, verse 29. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. So it's the Sabbath, and church has finished. Last week, we looked at the dramatic exorcism that took place when Jesus went to church. But that's all over now, and just like many churches throughout New Zealand today, people uh, were invited home for lunch. So Simon Peter said to Jesus, uh, we'd love to have you and James and John around for a meal, or words to that effect. So they made their way through the town and got to Peter and Andrew's house. Verse 30. Now Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever and they told Jesus about her. 
So before lunch is served, Jesus discovers that the matriarch of the house is unwell. Now normally this is information that would be a courtesy. This would be an apology for why she wasn't attending the meal. And then normally the guest would take his place at the meal table. But Jesus had other plans. Verse 31. So he went to her, took her hand and helped her up. The fever left her and she began to wait on them. And there we have it. Without fuss and without fanfare, uh, the first healing recorded in Mark. Simon Peter's mother-in-law is healed. And as I've reflected on this, the first healing, I couldn't help feel a little bit underwhelmed. I mean, this opening chapter is full of such drama. I mean, the baptism, the voice from heaven, the the dove descending. And then we have those hardened uh, fishermen that just drop their nets and walk off the boats to follow Jesus. And then that morning, we've just had this exorcism. It wasn't the, the demon going quietly. He made a big fuss. And here, well, we just have someone with a mild illness. In fact, some people might say, well, actually she was on the mend anyway. It was only a fever. There was no miracle here. He just helped her up. And as I'm wondering about this, I'm reminded of that rough human pastor facing the coal mine disaster who out of compassion gathered and prayed for those who were troubled and upset. A pastor who would not pose and who would not seek fame while he was going about his heavenly father's business. And that's what we see here. Jesus wasn't interested in getting credit or the fame or the glory. Out of compassion, he was moved to go about his heavenly father's business. And so he goes to her. Before he eats, he goes to Simon's mother-in-law and takes her by the hand. And that's just such a wonderful, intimate detail, isn't it? Scattered through Mark, there are these little bits and pieces, these detail that he adds that he doesn't have to but shows us something of the heart of Jesus. He reaches out and he takes this ill lady's hand and the fever left her. Jesus is not interested in leveraging a mighty miracle for his reputation and advancement. He's interested in compassion. He's interested in doing his father's business, whether it's in public or private. What a joy it would have been to have Simon's mother-in-law at the meal. There'd be so much to share and so much to celebrate. But that day, the miracles have not stopped. There is more. For after the morning's drama, the violent casting out of a demon, you can imagine that word travelled through that town like wildfire. And so in verse 32, that evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick people and the demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door. Now why did they gather at sunset? Why didn't they just sort of after church make their way straight to Simon Peter's place? Well, it's a little bit to do with the Sabbath and the way the Jewish folk keep time. So for Jews, it's sunset that marks the transition of the days. For us, it's midnight. Most of us asleep at midnight and so you know, there's a transition from one day to another. We wake up in the morning and it's a new day. Not for Jewish folk. The transition of one day to another is at sunset. So as soon as the sun goes down, it's the beginning of a new day. And so with, on the Sabbath, there were restrictions on how far they could walk. There were restrictions on what they could and couldn't do. So as soon as the sun sets and it's a new day, 
the whole town gathers at the door of Peter, hoping that this young rabbi has another miracle or two in him. And they are not disappointed. Verse 34. And Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. And again, we see Jesus about his father's business. Whether in the privacy of a home or in front of a crowd, Jesus is moved by compassion to heal and set free. And one can imagine that it's well after midnight before the last townsperson departs. Verse 35. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. For going well-deserved sleep, Jesus rises early, slips out of the town, and finds a secluded place to pray. Now, in Luke's Gospel... Luke emphasises that this was Jesus' regular habit. So I have two or three verses from Luke. Luke chapter 5, verse 16. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Luke 9, 18. Once when Jesus was praying in private. Luke 11, 1. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, So we can see in the Gospel of Luke very clearly that this was Jesus' regular practice to take himself away first thing in the morning to find a solitary place and pray. It's not restricted to the morning. We see Jesus praying in the evening and, and all sorts of other contexts but certainly first thing in the morning was Jesus' regular pattern. And in this we're reminded of the Sermon of the Mount. Sermon on the Mount, chapter 6 verse 5, Jesus teaching about prayer. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your Father who is unseen. So we notice that in this passage in Mark, we see the practice of prayer And here in Matthew, we see his teaching on prayer. That sense where we all need to find a solitary place and to be with our Heavenly Father in prayer. Meanwhile, while Jesus is praying, back in Capernaum, the household finally stirs and Jesus' absence is causing a fuss. Where is he? People are starting to appear at the door, other townsfolk who want prayer and want healing. Something must be done. So they send out a search party. Verse 36. Simon and his companions went out to look for him. And when they found him, they explained, everyone is looking for you. And Jesus' response to a slightly grumpy Peter is surprising. Jesus replied, let's go somewhere else, to the nearby villages, so that I can preach there also. That's why I've come. And why is this surprising? Well, all the crowds, they wanted him. And with crowds comes many benefits. Notoriety, fame, influence, benefactors. Oh yes, it's very good to have a crowd on your side. Lots of benefits. Jesus had just made a major breakthrough in a significant town, Capernaum, significant town on the Lake of Galilee. This was his opportunity to make a killing. 
But no, Christ is focused on his father's business and he will not pose. He's done what was needed to be done in Capernaum. He refuses to play for the crowd and he moves on. And in all this, we're reminded of one of the three temptations in the wilderness. And we remember that Jesus had been fasting for 40 days. And then Satan comes to him and tempts him to turn stones into bread. Jesus is shown by Satan all of his dominions, all the dominions of Satan, all the kingdoms of the world. And Satan says, if you worship me, I'll give you all this. And the third temptation was that the devil took Jesus up onto the highest pinnacle of the temple and said, if you jump off, angels will rescue you. And Jesus said, as it is written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. And what's happening here? You see, all through his ministry, not just in the wilderness, but here in this situation, all through his ministry, Jesus was tempted to play the crowd, to do the spectacular, to have the adulation of the masses, whether it's jumping off a temple and being rescued by an angel or those demands to heal and for miracles. But no, Jesus would not give in this temptation to play to the crowd, for he was about his father's business and he would not pose. Yes, he would work miracles in public, but on his own terms. I mean, these miracles were a sign that the kingdom of God was near, that he was the Messiah, and it was a sign and a reminder of God's great compassion for his people. But he would never do it to seek glory and honour for himself. And so he turned his back on the crowds, as he would do time and time again. In fact, you'll see through Mark, he, he struggles to do his father's business because of the crowds. But he's persistent. And so we read in Mark chapter 1, verse 39, And so Jesus travelled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. Now later he'll return to Capernaum, and the crowds would often follow him, even hound him. But for now, he had work in other places, and he went. And as we reflect on this passage, we think, well, what's our take-home? What's our application? What, What are we to do with this? Well, certainly there's a strong encouragement to pray, to seek a quiet place where we can speak and listen to God. In Christian circles, this is often referred to as a, as a quiet time or our devotional time. Uh, call it whatever you like. It's a regular practice to be by ourselves, to speak with God and allow him to speak to us. And the major way he speaks to us is through his word, which is why we pray with the Bible in our hand. Whether we have a regular practice or it's a little bit more random, God speaks through his word. And as we still and as we quiet ourselves, the Holy Spirit will often put a thought into our mind that we weren't expecting, that we have a sense is from him. And there we learn in these quiet times to listen to the nudges and the guidance of the Holy Spirit. But oh, how we resist. There's something in us that excels in prayer procrastination, prayer avoidance, prayer pretense. Or is it just your minister that struggles in these areas? Goodness me. We know prayer is our life, but we know it's something that we must persevere with, something we must guard and protect and stand against. And we know that Satan is happy when we are prayerless and trembles 
when we are prayerful, but how we struggle. And I have an image which often comes to mind when I'm praying, which I find quite helpful. It's a little bit, I find it quite humorous. And it's, and it's back to Adam and Eve. You know, and Adam used to walk in the evening, the cool of the evening with God. It's amazing, isn't it? But then when he took the fruit and ate it, when Adam and Eve took it, they hid. And I can imagine that first evening with God walking through the garden and Adam hiding in the bush. And part of him, part of him wants to go out and, and, and give God a big hug and start, and, and start that conversation again, but part of him just wants to hide. And that describes me in prayer. Sort of sometimes, you know, I'm in that bush and I, I want to have that fellowship with God, but part of me just doesn't. And so you remember when you're kids and you play hide and seek and you want to be found? You kind of stick a foot out of somewhere? Did you ever do that? That's sometimes, that's my prayer life. <laughs> I'm hiding in the bush and I kind of stick a little foot out and say, God, I'm kind of hiding, but I want to be found by you. And I find that, I find that quite amusing, delightful, but actually really practical because it helps me settle down. You know? Don't think that much of yourself. <laughs> You're just a kid playing hide and seek from God and he's always going to find you. And so we struggle. And so for our encouragement, I have two stories of people that have struggled with that prayer and have broken through. And the first example I want to give you is from the movie The War Room. I don't know, have you seen The War Room 2015? Talk about random. Isn't God interesting? I called round to Lynn Dick about something and guess what was sitting, and I'd already written the sermon, guess what was sitting on her table? This video, this DVD. Amazing, isn't it? And so if you want to borrow the DVD, Lynn says, help yourself. So I'll have it here. So what's The War Room about? Well, The War Room is this wonderful story written about a couple who have everything. Their dreams have come true with respect to income, careers and success, but their marriage seems to be one continuous fight. Elizabeth, the wife, is a real estate agent and she's contracted by a Miss Clara, who's a Christian, to sell her house. Miss Clara's showing the real estate agent, Elizabeth, around the house and they talk and, and it comes to this conversation about the marriage and the struggles and she senses that Elizabeth is struggling. So as, they sh- as she's showing her around the house and she goes into the bedroom, she opens the door to her walk-in wardrobe. And so we have the video clip now. And this video clip picks up Miss Clara showing Elizabeth her walk-in wardrobe, which she calls the war room. Now this is where I do my fight. A closet. I call it my war room. So, so you wrote prayers for each area of your life? A prayer strategy. Yes. Now, I used to do what you and your husband are doing, but it got me nowhere. And then I really started studying what the scriptures say. And God showed me that it wasn't my job to do the heavy lifting. No, that was something that only he could do. 
It was my job to seek him, to trust him, and to stand on his word. Miss Clara, I've never seen anything like this. And I admire it. I really do. I just, I don't have time to pray that much every day. But you apparently have time to fight losing battles with your husband. Elizabeth, if you will give me one hour a week, I can teach you how to fight the right way with the right weapons. Since you're good with the asking price, I'll go ahead and list the house. I'd uh, <laughs> like to think about our other discussion. Elizabeth, please forgive me for being so direct, but I see in you a warrior that needs to be awakened. But I, I will respect whatever decision you make. Thank you, Miss Clara. I hope you have a good day. You too. Don't let me push too hard, Lord. I know I got a big mouth. Quite a delightful clip. If you want to borrow the movie and find out how it ends up, just see me later. Isn't that lovely, the way that she had that war room set up? That walk-in wardrobe was pretty cool, wasn't it? And you got to see, you know, she had just had a chair. She cleaned out all the clothes from the wardrobe, just had a chair, and then at eye level, you know, 360 degrees where she could, she had people's names, um, photos, diagrams, all sorts of things to help her pray. And it made all the difference in the world. It's great. And so the challenge was, Miss Clara said to Elizabeth, if you give me an hour a week, and I will teach you how to pray. That's what we're saying to Mervyn, really, isn't it? A couple of hour, an hour a week for the next four Sundays. And God can teach us how to pray. Isn't that amazing? Such a good, good story. Good, good example. Maybe, um, maybe you've got a walk-in wardrobe. It's probably full of clutter. <laughs> maybe you could clear that out. Turn it into a wardrobe. Now, uh, many of us can't. We haven't got that much space. We might have quite a number of family living with us and it's a little bit overcrowded. So what do we do if we have a really full house and we haven't got the space? And that comes to our second example. And You may have heard of this person, John Wesley, founder of the Methodist Church and he said, I think very little of anyone who does not pray four hours a day. It's a bit serious, isn't it? <laughs> And that was his practice. He'd get up at four o'clock in the morning and he would spend at least four hours in prayer a day. Now, John Wesley's example is probably a mountain too high for us to climb. So it's actually not him I'm thinking about, but his mother, Susanna. The mother of John and Charles Wesley, who changed the world, turned England upside down for the Lord. Susanna... Wesley, how did she pray when she had 10 children? 10 children. If you were a stranger walking through a certain English village in the early 1700s and you happened to peer through the window of the vicarage, you might have seen something most unusual. Depending on the time of day, you might have seen a woman sitting in a chair with her apron pulled up over her head while 10 children were in the house. Might have been playing, doing some baking, reading. Now what's all this about? Well, early in her life, Susanna committed herself to praying each day. But now she's married with 10 children. 
And uh, how is she ever going to find the time and the space to be alone with her Lord? Well, her solution was she'd bring her Bible to her favourite chair and she would throw a long apron over her head and it would form a sort of tent, a bit of a cocoon. And everyone in the house from the smallest toddler to the oldest domestic help knew that it was more than their life's worth to interrupt mother while she had that apron over her head. And she prayed. And mothers, man, you want your mother praying for you, your grandmother praying for you. For those prayers, they make a difference. And she prayed for her children. She prayed for John Wesley and for Charles Wesley and, and all for her husband and all the others. And she read her Bible and it made an amazing difference. Changed the world. Wow. So, solitary prayer. I've seen the example of Miss Clara, who has a walk-in wardrobe called her war room. Susanna Wesley, who didn't have that luxury of the space but used an apron. What do you have? Where do you meet with God? Is it at the kitchen table before the household rises in the morning? Maybe it's in your bedroom later in the evening. Maybe you have a sleep out or a corner of a workshop. Or maybe you're just happy, any quiet space with a Bible and your prayer journal. Just you and God alone. Open Bible, listening ear. Now many of our family and friends and colleagues would think we're wasting our time, but no, when we pray in a solitude, quietly, we are about our Heavenly Father's business and we do not pose. Imagine. Imagine if the people in this room, including myself, was to pray just that little bit extra this week. Now, I don't know where you are in your prayer life. If you're an average congregation, there'll be some that hardly even pray, just for whatever reason, and there'll be prayer warriors here, and I hope I'm on your list, by the way. <laughs> what if each of us in this, in this room prayed an extra 10 minutes this week? Just think about the people in this room. That's quite good, isn't it? What if each of us in this room prayed an extra 10 minutes this week? Wow, imagine that. Imagine what God can do taking up those prayers. And some of them are so simple, but God loves the simple prayers. Imagine what will happen to your family. Imagine what will happen to Cromwell. I mean, we've prayed for all the new people that are moving in, and there are, and this harvest field is right. And, and they will never come to the Lord unless we pray. You know, unless we pray. Imagine that. Imagine what the difference that will make to our missionaries that are overseas going through tough times. If each of us just spends another 10 minutes a day praying. The most humblest prayers. Some of the prayers we pray is, help me. And that's about as much as we can get. And other times we're in the zone. <laughs> There's that season of prayer and we just feel like we can pray all day and we love those moments. Sometimes they're rare, but they come. Just imagine what a difference you and I in this room can make if we just bump up our game. Not because we're prayer warriors as such, though I hope there are a few Miss Claras around, but because of God's grace and the mercy that he's shown us and that we want to share that around. And so we pray. Now we pray corporately. We've prayed this morning as a church. Uh, we pray in small groups. We may have a prayer partner or we may be talking to a Christian friend and we just finish the conversation with a prayer and that's awesome. Corporate prayer, we need more of it. But today, we've seen the example of solitary prayer. One-on-one face time with God. And as we pray, we ask for the compassion of Christ 
to fill our hearts because they fuel the most powerful prayers. The compassion of Christ, powerful prayer. And as we do so, we pray that Christ is lifted up so he will draw all people to him for his glory, for his name, for his honour, of which we play the least but the most wonderful amount. Let's pray.